I think. Go to school, kid. I mean, I think you're right. We are living in the golden age of information. At least information. Because you, you're right. You used to have to once a month read whatever yeah. publication you hear. I remember even. I mean, even me. I remember. Uh, this is not so long ago. You know, I would go on Harmony Central and I'd go on the gear page, mm-hmm. but I'd still go to Barnes and Noble and buy whatever. There was a European guitar magazine. I forget what it was. Hmm. It was before Premier Guitar was re- was even really doing print stuff. Yeah. Every now and then I'd see a print version. They were just starting in digital stuff. So what year was that? Who knows? But there was not guitar player, guitarist. Guitarist is the English one. Yeah. And their magazines were so much better than I felt everything else out there. Yeah. They were really... And even just the ads in the back, you know, the mm-hmm. half back of the yeah. magazine was just all ads for pedals and pickups and all that. And that's the only way you learned about anything. Somebody bought me like 30 old guitar magazines from the eighties. Mm-hmm. They're amazing. What I'll show you. <laughs> cool. The products are ridiculous. Yeah. Not, nobody has this stuff. That's funny. All the guitars are pointy and pink and green yeah, and yeah. yellow. Yeah. All the hair is huge. But, uh. I've got a Steve Stevens cassette tape that was free with Guitar World magazine. So like <laughs> Guitar World had the little <laughs> thing. You had to fill out this little card or whatever. Remember, they also had the little vinyl, mm-hmm. the thin vinyl records and stuff. But yeah, yeah. this was a Steve, the world according to Steve, Guitar World according to Steve Stevens. And I've still got it in a box somewhere. Yeah. He's sort of an eternal figure in the guitar world, isn't he? Yeah. He really isn't ever going to go anywhere. Because he there's like videos of him last month. Oh, yeah. On, probably on Premier Guitar. He's just a really cool player. And now, I mean, look at that. Cassettes in the mail attached to a magazine oh, yeah. to it's the same content really being available All on your phones and, always. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe probably way more content, way more oh, in-depth, yeah. way more direct. YouTube. It's amazing. You, there's nothing you can't find on YouTube. I mean, there may be something, but right. I want to learn how to play this song on guitar, and there's 50 different versions of it. Right. So you just, you just can't. We didn't have that when I was a kid. We'd dead sit there and drop a needle over and over and over and right, over. Right, right, right. Probably learned a lot that way. Tried. Probably more than people learn on tabs and how-to videos these days. I don't know. There's some kids that are just amazing anymore. It's really true. Well, hello there. My name is HW, and thank you so much. This is... Michael Britt. It's back again. Coca-Cola. It's back again, guys. Coca-Cola. <laughs> the Coca-Cola Kemper. <laughs> uh, King Michael. He is uh, back. And we have... We've got new mugs because the last time, <laughs> the last time you were on the podcast, the mug situation was really not very thought out, and uh, I mean people just couldn't get over the mugs. I know. So we're probably gonna have to get some custom mugs for the future. But our friends at British Audio have stepped up and they've sent us some mugs. <clears throat> and by sure. sent, you literally, they literally, you just went and picked them up. <laughs> yeah. I was picking up my camper from the shop. Right. Anyway, so. What happened to it? Uh, just the Ethernet jack on the back went bad. Did you get the mod? I did not, but I'm probably going to get that eventually. You should get the mod. I'm supposed to go in there and get it. Yeah. I just had a gig last week, so I was trying to get it done. I asked him which would take the less amount of time. And right. He said just replacing the board. So, Well, this is a good segue into, uh, into the plug uh, before we get this out of the way. This is... Yeah. Uh, uh, both the Tone Junkie Load... Today's podcast is brought to you by <laughs> the M. Brit Loaded Kemper and the Tone Junkie Loaded Kemper. Probably the best deals in the Kemperverse, uh, both available at British Audio. And they're free profiles for the cost of a normal Kemper. Right. I mean, it's the same map price. It's the lowest price you can get on a Kemper anywhere, mm-hmm. and on a new Kemper. Yep. And uh, there's 
free profiles inside. Free profiles. It's amazing. You pick. It's really amazing. It is pretty if, cool. If you're going to buy a, a new Kemper, it'd be foolish to buy it anywhere else. And if you are in the Nashville area, they actually do servicing on the Kemper. They're an authorized service center. They do. And I bet, pro tip, if you bought one of those loaded Kempers, you could probably say, listen, I'm on the fence, but if you throw in a British Audio mug, <laughs> probably, <laughs> I'd, be willing, I'd be willing to do it. I don't know how many mugs they have, actually, but now there are two here, and that is wonderful. Um, this uh, this is cool. We were just talking about this before. It just people's reaction to, to the podcast, to YouTube. I remember to, being really tired on that previous podcast. Yeah. I'd just gotten in town or something. I don't remember. I was, yeah, yeah. was kind of wiped. You were a little but, sick. You had yeah, the anthrax, I yeah, think. Yeah, the anthrax. And, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, but but people, people are into guitar speak, you know? And it's so much easier to get now. I almost wonder... You know, I wonder how it affects people's, like, playing development, having too many easy resources in front of them. Well, there's that whole option paralysis thing. Right, and and right. now there's just uh, option psychosis is what I call it. Because, right. I mean, I've got so much gear at my house. Mm-hmm. And I'm always trying to make presets for the different devices and yeah. make profiles and get and find new real amps, you know, to play yeah. and profile. I just, it's maddening sometimes. Yeah, I'm, I'm selling a lot of gear. I mean, I, I'm constantly in a state of right, right, right. Stuff I've got a stack of stuff going out, and yeah. always looking for stuff to come in. I, yeah, I'm always. I mean, obviously, we, we, you know, amps are always coming in and out and stuff. We're always checking out stuff, but I gotta. I feel like I feel like I can't even get to know guitars anymore. There's too many guitars sitting around. Yeah, you know, or I just need to commit to not playing some for a while. How do you do that? I don't know, but I, <laughs> the problem is, I'm, I sit there and I look at a guitar on the wall. Like I've got that gold sparkle jet mm-hmm. and I'm like, ah, gosh, like three weeks ago, I really liked that thing and it was awesome. I should, I should pick it up and I should plug it in. Mm-hmm. But you know, then there's something else that needs attention that gets it. You know what I mean? I have that. I mean, when we go on the road, I can usually take four to five guitars at tops. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's a fly day, usually only two. I mean, how do you survive so, with only four? Five well, I'm just saying that's just what fits in the bus bay. <laughs> right. Um, but when I got my racks, you know, at home, just with really great guitars, I've been really lucky that I've acquired some really nice stuff. It's like, I can't decide which, I know the first two that I'm going to take, mm-hmm. but after that, it's just like, how do I pick the next two? And I looking through our set list, what will fit on this song and what, what's new that I've gotten that I haven't gotten to play out yet and all that stuff. So right, it's just, you know, first world problems. It's a first world problem for sure. Yeah. What, um, we talked about expensive guitars on the last podcast. Are expensive guitars worth it? We threw out some names and stuff. There was John too was on the podcast with me. What do you look for? Like, well, first of all, what are you playing these days? What's the main guitars? I think we know the ones. Some people know the ones we've seen, but you've got a couple new ones that the Tom Andersons I've had forever. Mm-hmm. And those, right. I've got a hollow T that I do most of my profiling with, and I've got that red Cobra with the three P90s. Right. I've also got a, a drop top with a HSS kind of setup, but that one doesn't get used as much. I'm just not a huge, I don't find those guitars as useful. HSS? Yeah. Yeah. Because if I want a Strat, I want a real Strat, not a fake Strat. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are my main two. Uh, I've got a Sewer that I got, I've got that Sewer carved top standard mm-hmm. with three P90s, S90s or whatever. Um, so that, my two P90 guitars are my main two that I have to take on the road because they can cover right. anything in our set. And then I've started getting these exotic guitars. Um, I brought, I think I brought the Strat over last you time. Did, so yeah. I've got two Great Strats guitar. and a Tele of theirs now. Yeah. And 
the necks just feel really nice. They they look and feel like you're playing old instruments because they're beat mm-hmm. up and relic really nicely. And but they feel when you're playing them. There's no dead frets. It's a nice modern right, right. radius. Stays in tune. Nice hard frets. You know, it's they're not all dinged up like a vintage guitar. So when you have to take four or five guitars, what are the ro- guitars you take on the road? I'll usually take one of the Strats, the exotic Strats, mm-hmm. and then the Sewer and the Anderson. And then my fourth one is my always my wild card. And I've got the Zomitis that I got recently. Mm-hmm. And then I've got a Les Paul that I love. I've got a exotic Tele that I'll bring out. I just picked up a Gretsch hot rod from a buddy. Right. And hot rod sets her. And then I've also got. Have three, you taken the, Yeah. Yes. The 335 I yeah. just got too. So. That's what I was going to ask you. Have you taken that on the road yet? I have. I, I use it on a couple of the Christmas shows. You were just telling me you put a. Uh, a doozy, uh, yeah, the less, less, less trim, less trim too, right? Yep. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I had it on a different guitar, but it was, it was in my way on that guitar. The, the 335 is just a little bit bigger and it doesn't get in my way. Cause that, uh, the big post that holds the arm, mm-hmm. the bar arm, it's a big round thing. If the bridge is too close to the tailpiece, it kind of gets in your way of right, your right. hand. But other than that, it's really nice. So Danish Pete recently did that, and then we saw a guy on uh, on a, on a, the Kemper Facebook group that that yeah. did that. And uh, now you've done it. it. Seems to be a trend. It's just a really easy way without having to put a bunch of holes or extra stuff on your guitar. Yeah, because you don't need to buy the extra Vibramate for it like you would right. a Bigsby to keep from drilling holes. Just drop in replacement, huh? Yep, it's kind of nice, and it's really fluid and. And the tuning's good and everything? It is. I'm having a little nut binding issues, but I can fix that. Well, eventually. it's a Gibson. Yeah. What do you expect? <laughs> well, the strings have to cut so yeah. hard to get over to the okay. tuning peg. I yeah, know. It's, it's funny. Yeah. It's funny. Other people don't seem to have that problem, and they have a similar headstock, but I don't Unless know. My fender was smart when they lined right. them all up with the nut. Do you ever find that with the Gretches that they... Uh, Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, do the same thing. My Gretsch has locking tuners, which actually helps a little bit. Right, right, right. And the original ones with the zero fret, those are actually pretty. That was a good design, actually. I have a, um, and I love that the open strings had the metallic fret sound instead of the duller nut sound. Yeah, so I have one with the zero fret, and I do kind of like it. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I've had before this. I don't know that I've owned a zero fret guitar, mm-hmm. but um, they're definitely really cool. The Gretsch stuff coming out of Japan is to me, like some of the best bang for your buck, especially oh, yeah. in the used market. I mean, you can really at 12, 13, 1400 bucks, there's a, a bunch of great Japanese. Made that's what the, the hot rod sets are. I have yeah. Japanese ones. Amazing. Yeah. They're awesome. You yeah. know, um, of course there's some good that go more expensive, but there's a lot of models that sit in there used, yeah. you know, that you can find on reverb that are killer. So all those guitars you're saying, yeah, none of them are five, $6,000 guitars. Just my Les Paul, and only because all Les Pauls. If you want an R9 or R8 right, or anything right, right, like that, right. you can't pay less than four anymore. So, but your even your Tom Andersons, yeah, um, south of three. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean I think I've paid around two for most of them. Right, I, I buy most of them used anyway. Right, so. and the exotic same thing. Even new, those yeah. are what what are those twenty five twenty yeah. yeah yeah. So so you know used you'd get under that. To me, that's the right in the ballpark you're getting a good hand you're not hand built you know car hand car but sure. you know american nice, made american made you yeah. know spent some time on it you know you're not gonna have fret sprout cutting your hands or right. the, or just weirdness on the neck that's my biggest thing I, I just i have to have them all work right there has to, there can't be any dead frets or bend and fret out and weird stuff like that this is sort of the topic that has come up before like what are expensive guitars worth it are four thousand dollar guitars worth it are five thousand dollar guitars worth it and i think we have a similar opinion where there's really a sweet spot around the $2,000 mm-hmm. range, yeah. whether it's new or used. 
the, the sort of 1900 to 25, 26, totally there's agree. really just a plethora of like amazing instruments available. And I'm not sure what you're getting when you pay more mm-hmm. other than very subjective things. Like I like this neck radius right. and this color. So I'm willing to pay more, but in terms of just straight up like quality, build quality, playability, maybe pickups. Yeah. It seems to all be right there. Yeah. Yeah. And there, I mean, I've seen some, now there's getting to be some 12 and $1,500 guitars that I think are yeah. just as good as those, you yeah. know, as, as everything starts moving more to CNC machine cut, mm-hmm. you know, they're getting more precise on everything from guitar necks, the way they're cut right. or bodies. Um, it's not like it used to be when it was just like done, doing them by hand and you could really tell the difference. Yeah. I think cheap stuff is great too these days. Oh yeah. Like you can get better guitar for $500 now than you ever could. Oh was, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Even 300 bucks. I feel like there's a lot of stuff in that range that like for 300 bucks, it's like, I mean, if you like this, it's fine. You replace the pickups and, oh, yeah. you know, maybe it doesn't have a, it's not perfect, right? <laughs> but it's totally playable. Mm-hmm. You know, you're See, definitely in the realm of like skill now matters not the quality of the guitar well, you know that, what i mean it like, should always go back to that i mean sure. i remember the first time i saw jack pearson playing his little squire strat around town right. i mean that, that thing is legendary now in nashville but you know it was a 200 dollars squire strat right. he changed pots and pickups or whatever he changed in it mm-hmm. but um at that point it becomes the guy playing it and not right not the parts yeah and that's why i'm not a better guitar player is he if, a good guitar player jack i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> Watching him play slide and standard tuning, um, he had like some videos with, he's like teaching a class. He's like doing a clinic or something, Mm -hmm. playing all this standard, you know, playing slide. Uh, He's, I shouldn't even say he's playing slide. He has a slide on and he's sort of equally playing slide and not slide. And, um, it makes you want to quit the guitar. It really does. It really is like. His touch is just incredible. Like it looks like he's just barely touching the strings and he's just making all this music and stuff. And he just, you know, looks like a dude next door. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and then he makes it look so easy. <laughs> and it's, and it's like, um, there's a couple of people who, when they play it, to me, it look it's like, nah, that's not the instrument I play. No. That's a different Guthrie instrument. Guthrie traps the same way for yeah, me. Right. Yeah, that dude. <laughs> that's not, I love watching him play because it's, it, I, it's like the good kind of just having your mind blown. Right, right. Like, I just, I just can't do that. Yeah. It's, yeah, I know my, I, well, I have to work so hard to just stay in tune, in key. <laughs> I can't think about going out and coming back. Right. I was going to say, well, he goes out a lot. He's, well, I don't he know, knows, he's but he knows what it. he's doing. You know, right. he knows, well, I'm playing a diminished right. thing over the five here. And, you know, I was like, well, I don't Yeah. I'm sure. Okay. Go ahead. In some ways I think like, like Eric Johnson is the, like, like if Guthrie is let's go out and come back in in every way we can. Then like the opposite is maybe like Eric Johnson, which is like, let's stay in in every way we can, but make it sound like we did something else. Or let's stay in and play every note really fast. Right. Yeah. It's all about the phrasing. <laughs> it's like, I'll just, I'll play all the same notes you are, but just yeah. phrase differently. And he does that whole five note thing. I don't know if you've ever watched yeah. Doug Rappaport's videos trying, he kind of cops the Eric Johnson stuff. Yeah. And he nails it. It's like, yeah. holy crap. Yeah. These guys are just, they're way better than me. I had this experience sitting down uh, with one of the guys who's in the videos a lot, Desi Serna, and he teaches guitar. And he's he's I, I always say he literally wrote the book on the fretboard because he wrote a book called Fretboard Theory. <laughs> so, so um, did write the book, 
But um, the guy is like a classic rock jukebox. I mean, just like call out a song, and he just mm-hmm. knows all from Kiss to Zeppelin to you know Chili Peppers and and Soundgarden, like you know all over the place into '90s rock and stuff. Yeah. And we sat down and we put on on the Kemper a fuzz and a chorus, and he played the parts from um, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" with a fuzz and a chorus, and that's what that solo is. And then he instantly went into Eric Johnson, and both of those tones sounded like those two artists. Huh. It was all about the phrasing. I mean, it was all about like, yeah. you know what I mean? Now, was it the most nailed, one hundred percent Eric Johnson tone? No. But immediately I knew that sound just from the phrasing, just from the fuzz and the chorus. You know what I mean? Like they're part of both those sounds, but the playing is so different. I love copying sounds off records or, you know, like, and I've had emails and I've even tried to like copy, like, how do I get a sound like this person or whatever? So I've tried to do it and get close or whatever. Right, right. But at some point the sound is almost like not important. Mm -hmm. The tone, I hate to say it because that's what I do most of my life is create tones but (laughs) it's honestly not that important it's true the most important thing are the notes that you're playing and the phrasing yeah 100 percent. i mean that's and that's where they say i think that's the thing when they say it's in the fingers Mm -hmm. i've always understood that like it's not really in the fingers there is some difference to how hard you press or maybe you're pulling the note out of tune but really it's all that strung together right in your phrasing and your playing that makes it sound like well i saw a video of joe satriani playing on some kid's little 200 hundred dollar guitar playing right. surfing with the alien <laughs> sounded like joe Satriani. i mean it, it sounded like the part yeah. you can you can tell it probably was a line six amp or whatever it's mm-hmm. the tone it matters to a point that you have to have the right amount of sustain the right amount of gain sort of and after that it's all kind of yeah the tone could change you know yeah. somebody's live tone could be different than what they had on the record but you're not going to notice that and you're not going to say yeah that sucked live unless it was just awful right it's a good point tones in the fingers not in the kempers well just and the parts you know, we, <laughs> and the, the parts. notes the notes are really the most important parts is what what notes are you playing it's true so who would have thought music comes back to the notes <laughs> We've been worrying about gear this whole time. I know. <laughs> I should learn some notes. We should le- we should learn how to play the guitar. That would be really that would be a really useful uh, um, exercise. Um, okay, I'm working on that actually. <laughs> One of these days, I'm gonna. Um, let's talk about the Kemper. I had a video that came out a while ago, and I want to get your take on this. Um, so I did a little video, and, and it seemed to really help people. All of the content has been out there before. All mm-hmm. the content has been in Tone Junkie videos. Um, you've written about a bunch of this stuff um, in in like you know the blog posts. You've posted about it. There's been other videos. How to dial in profiles. Mm-hmm. My thing is like I try to tell people there's a bunch of great parameters. You should get into them all. I try mm-hmm. to break them down. But for me, the one, two, three is definition. I I look at it like this. I always start in this order. First, I adjust the definition control. I feel mm-hmm. like I get 80% of the way there. Yep. Then I do the EQ. I feel like I'm somewhere around 90 to 95% there. Then maybe I'll do a little high shift, low shift. And that's only if I'm playing. And that's to me, that's most important if I've, I'm playing a um, something like, to me, the, 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 the Tone King, Tone Queen Falcor free stuff i have the tone junkie uh free pack it's like one of my favorites but it's a little bit of a small sounding amp right and if i want to make a little bigger shift the lows down instantly it's not so 110 112 ish anymore so that's like number three is like maybe i use it sometimes maybe i don't right what do you do you same, same yeah. thing i mean start with the definition then eqing and the only time i ever touched the 
the speaker controls or yeah. are is if so like you've got a rig that you're turning the definition down to make it not as shrill and bright mm-hmm. for single mm-hmm. coils or whatever um but what you're doing is also like we said was it's just bumping up that low end well mm-hmm. if there gets to be too much of that that then i'll take that low shift and just sure. turn it up a little bit and it, sure. and it shaves a little bit of that back off yeah so it's yeah. just it's to me it's all about balancing it's all balance yeah like you got to make sure your highs aren't hitting everybody for, in the face before your lows are or it's not too muddy right and i love a big healthy mid-range so it's all just trying to you're trying to balance these things and you're not trying to get flat you're just trying to get them to where they audibly sound even yeah one question i get a lot from kemper users is like what adjustments are you making guitar to guitar i personally am not making a ton of adjustments guitar to guitar and i think maybe one of the reasons for that is i buy a guitar i use it a lot when the next guitar comes in I almost require that guitar to sound good with all these rigs that I've built or else I tend not to like the guitar so much. That's the same thing. So yeah. Yeah. What's how much, how many, what kind of changes are you making? Are you saving? Do you have profiles specifically for one guitar or for another? No, I I tend to spend most of my time changing pickups so that they're Mm -hmm. all relatively, so they all work well together. Right. Cause I don't want a strat that's super weak and low output and then a Les Paul or humbucker guitar that's so high output that I can't use the same rigs. So all my single coils tend to be hotter on the hotter mm-hmm. side. And all my uh, humbuckers tend to be on the milder side. So that everything kind of sits in this middle range, around a P90. I'm working on this character. This is a, this is on topic because I want to I want to ask you a question as this character. Okay. I'm working on this character called Angry Tone Junkie Fan, <laughs> and it's it's an amalgamation of all of the insane emails I get. I'm I'm sure you get a lot of these, and it, today or sometime in the future we should we should just we should we should swap stories. Maybe maybe on here about so like the angry tweets. We got to read our angry yeah, emails. Just, yeah, you know, angry, but just <laughs> it's an amalgamation of sort of all of the things I hear from people that leave me scratching my head. Right. So let me play that character for a minute. And, and I've started to put skits in the tone jiggy email. So in my last email, there was a little skit. If you haven't, if you're listening to the podcast or on the video edition, you haven't checked out that skit. It's a, it's a great, um, sort of, uh, uh the character's objecting to, um, to, uh, uh, all the things I'm saying in the email and just telling <laughs> me to shut up and get to the free profiles that are, at, that are at the bottom. Anyway. Um, uh, so, okay. But, um, so I'll play that character for a moment. All right. Okay. Um, but uh, but and Britt, listen. If you make all of your pickups sound the same, how are you really getting authentic telly tones? How are you really getting authentic Strat tones? You know, the vintage Strats don't sound like vintage Les Pauls. So if if aren't you just making all your pickups and all your rigs sound the same by requiring that the pickups be w- working well together? You know. Yes and no, but yeah. I don't. I'm not trying to make them all sound the same. I'm trying to make the output level similar. Right. Um, strats right, right. still sound like strats to me. Yeah. Now, no mine. Yeah. Do you the, have a problem the, getting a, a telly to sound like a telly? No, my a problem. Te- and and I've got different tellies. I've got one that has more vintage pickups, and I've got one right. that has more modern pickups. Right. And I've got strats that have truly vintage pickups. Yeah. And they are a little bit weaker, and I would have to do a little tweaking, but it's not major. Right. Um, and most of my and the problem I always have with a real strat pickup, bridge pickup, is it's too thin and too shrill. So mm-hmm. the set that I got from Duncan, then Antiquity Texas Hots, the bridge is like a really overwhelmed, but it still sounds like a it sounds like somewhere between a strat and a tele pickup, but it's still stratty enough yeah. that you're never going to confuse it with a humbucker. When you have an amp in real life, which you play amps all the time, I play amps all the time. How much do you change the EQ? I mean, if you can't think of an amp. 
that you are familiar with at the moment, how much are you actually changing the EQ guitar to guitar? Very little, maybe yeah, one so, notch on the bass. So we're, we're both finding that maybe it's better to get to a tone on the amp that allows us to appreciate the differences in the guitars, but not be so far away from each other that we have to rebuild the rig every time. Well, and I don't like amps that have too many knobs anyway. I mean, my favorite amps are volume tone or volume bass. I mean, just volume bass and treble. Right. Uh, And and not that I haven't gotten good sounds out of multi-channel amps with all that stuff, but um, the, every time you put any knob any any eq knob on there's basically a, f- a filter either filtering out low end or high end mm-hmm. or changing a mid slope uh, the more of those things you put on there the more overlapping curves you're having and the more dips you're having the more can- phase canceling so it's kind of it starts being what's the word i'm looking for it's counterproductive counterproductive yeah too many controls yeah yeah so i mean it's um you're getting God, my brain's not working this morning. I yeah. hear beeping. Um, Very good. The, the, no, the, on that point, um, uh, it's diminishing okay. returns. Only the people know. On the diminishing vi- returns. Yeah, yeah, totally. At, on that point, I there's been some great sounding Mesa Boogie amps, mm-hmm. but I've had Mesa Boogie amps that sound terrible. Oh yeah. And then after a day or two, I figure out how this amp works because it's it, it's the controls are so intricate that it's not user-friendly at first unless you're familiar with it. Well, and they're fighting each other, you know. 100%. What does Andy Timmons always do on his Lone Star? I don't know. He cranks the bass. He always talks about, I, lo- I, I never understand this logic. Yeah. He has, people are always asking after the Andy Timmons sound, they love his sound. His sound is a stiletto and a Lone Star with the bass on 10. Really? On 10 on the Lone Star. Oh, no, I'm sorry, on zero. Oh, sorry, I was about to say on zero. Zero. And this is what he says. He has these videos on, uh, and he's always like, I love amps that have like so much low end and fullness that I can put the tone, I can put the bass on zero. In my head, I'm thinking, why would we love that amp? Why wouldn't you just. That's the problem, why, that's the problem I have with many what, of the Mesa yeah. amps. There's too much study low end. Yeah. And it's like, what it means is this amp has so much low end. In you have circuit. to cut it all the way down to get it to the point you want it. Well, what's the point of having control over extra high, low end you don't want shouldn't the control be recalibrated well, how about i've had other amps where you have to turn the treble all the way off yeah and it's still bright enough especially if it's got a mid knob it's got all that stuff yeah. in it and the and if you only turn up the high knob to see what you're getting it's like this nasty yeah stuff i'm like why is that on a knob the lone star is a good example to me both lone <clears throat> stars the el84 version and the big one is a really good example of an amp that i think you can dial in some of the worst guitar tones ever created. <laughs> like, but then, but it's actually but, my favorite Mesa amp. Yeah, there's some setting yeah. where it's like this is where this amp. I used to always great. have to crank the mids on my Lone Star, but after I did that, it right. sounded like oh, that's because it didn't sound. It sounded very flat and not very sure. interesting before. And then conversely, you get like a like a vintage Marshall. Mm-hmm. The EQ really doesn't do that much anyway. Right. This sounds going to sound like this. <laughs> you get a delay. You can affect it a little bit, but there's a core in there. And Jeff Beck turns all the low end and his Marshalls off, supposedly. Yeah. And it, some of that, too, is the cabinet. If you're playing to a 412, yeah, it's going to build up. Of course. Quick. Yeah. I tend to play open back cabs. So. Yeah. And for that very reason, I don't like that kind of choked low end sound mm-hmm. that I get with closed back cabs. So... P90s are the greatest pickups ever. Correct. We agree. <laughs> Everybody agrees, really, who has P90s, <laughs> right? Right. Because um, because it really and and I I feel to me the second would be Tele pickups. I mean, a good right. Tele pickups probably my second favorite. 
What about um, what after that? Um, the Stratnik pickup is definitely the next best tone ever. Okay, this has me. This has. An, I now have an idea. Let, let's play a game. Okay. This is. Um, I want you to rank the contents of a taco as you would order them, <laughs> and then we're going to do the same thing with pickups. Okay. So, so here's like the test. Okay. The test is. Imagine I take you to just a regular, ta- like a taco place, okay. right? And I say, listen, this place is really good. They're good tacos. And you're like, what should I get? And I'd say, everything's good. Right. Shrimp, fish, chicken, pork. Uh, I'm a carnitas side of steak. Fan, so, so, so yeah, whatever, what, however you want to season the steak. If the, yeah. if carnitas is your favorite, pork, yeah. you know, go. What do you order? Top to bottom, first steak, to last. Steak, tacos, cilantro, and onions. Right, right. So steak. Yeah. What's your next meat? Like rank the meats. Oh, the meats. Uh, shrimp will be last. I'm not a shrimp fan. Not a shrimp fan. Not a shrimp so fan. So steak. Steak, chicken. Well, ground beef. Is ground beef in there? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. beef. We'll tie that with okay. okay, so, so beef. beef, chicken, and then carnitas probably. Beef, chicken, carnitas. Yeah. Is fish or above or below shrimp? It's above shrimp, but not by much. Mm. Not a big fish or shrimp taco person. Have you had the fried avocado tacos at Mojo's? No. We should... We should I'm do that. We should try that. All right. Um, I'm going to say carnitas, so pork. Mm-hmm. Shrimp and beef are close to me. Maybe chicken fish. Yeah. Okay, now rank pickups. Best pick pickups that, like, I can't live without these to, like, if I tell you these are the best, well, how do I do this? Yeah, just... Well, P90s are the best. P90s, okay. And then my next favorite is that it's a Tom Anderson Telly pickup that I just love. I mean, right. It's money. Right. And then... So it's a P90s Telly. And then the Strat pickup neck sound is just so classic right. that right. you can't get away right. from that. And then just a great humbucker, which by great, I mean kind of low output, Alco 4 magnet kind of thing. So humbuckers last on your list. Yeah, I'm not a big, huge humbucker fan. For the longest time, I didn't use them at all mm-hmm. um now i found that les paul that i love is that greg martin collector's choice and those pickups sound so good that it's raised my level of liking for humbuckers mm-hmm. and, and i've got, got others that i like and they're good for gain stuff but i play so much right on that clean edge of clean mm-hmm. and it's hard to get a humbucker to have clarity without being too much clarity because i've had some that are super clear but they sound like single coils and they don't sound like humbuckers right so it's fine just trying to find that thin line of Sounds like humbucker, but it's not muddy. It's not overly veiled on top. It's not thumpy in the low mids. I'm I'm really picky on humbuckers. Yeah. You can ask anybody. I've swapped tons of them. What's your favorite one? Favorite humbucker. Well, whatever's in that my Greg Martin Les Paul is the best sounding humbucker, and it's supposedly its own pickup for that guitar, but it's similar to the custom bucker. Okay. I think it has Alnico threes or fours in yeah. it, but it's reads really low on the meter and yet it's super loud so i don't know how that happens filtertrons we didn't even talk about they weren't on your list yeah below humbuckers yeah yeah i love them if i'm just sitting in a room playing guitar especially right. one with the bigsby and hollow body right um but anytime i try to use them on stage they just kind of get lost you, you know, i play with a loud drummer and yeah. a keyboard player that's got a big strong left hand and so it just kind of it's funny because tellies are so high on your list well i mean those telly pick are so high on your list yeah I think that somewhere there's, you know, some similarity would, uh, I don't think they're that similar. No, no, no. What do you, well, yeah. Elaborate. Well, to me, they just, 
uh, the thing I, I like about filtertrons is they have that kind of a hollow sound. Yeah, I find They've people that, that like tellies like filtertrons. Like like maybe that's more of a Sunday morning thing. And I do like but, it. But people, yeah, but yeah, yeah. But I always have to beef it up somehow, either with a clean boost or a compressor setup kind of high. They're a little low on output. Yeah. Um, that's probably my biggest beef. That's one of the sets or the hot rod has hotter filtertrons, and that's actually my favorite ones I've mm. tried. Interesting. And if we'd ever start playing shows, I think I've done two acoustic shows this year, no electric shows. So mm-hmm. kind of itching to play and get right. some of these new guitars out on the road so I can try them. And you may ask me in two months and I say, this filter is the best pickups ever. Hmm. I just haven't tried them out live yet. I'm going to say for my ranking, P90s, number one. And not just like my specific set of P90s that I, because I like the JM Pro ones. Yeah. Although... You brought over your JM Pro with the switch magnets. What did you switch the magnets to? They are A5s. Like they were. I'm guessing they were A5s because that's typically what goes in there. Okay, and then and, and then, then I put fours in them. You put fours. Have you tried anything else? No. It's it worked, and so I. Yours I, sounded I, more vintagey than mine. And that's what I was going for because yeah. my red Anderson has Alnico twos, I believe, because they're the uh, antiquities, which I believe had Alnico twos, but they're a little on the soft side. So the A4s just kind of bridge that gap a little bit. So I'm going to say P90s, then I'm going to say Strats, like a Strat pick. I really love a good, to me, like the, one of the things I love about P90s in the neck is I feel like it can sound like one of the fattest Strats you've ever heard. You know what I mean? I mean, it really doesn't sound like a Strat, but it has that thing that I like about Strats. Just a single coily thing, right? right? It's that open, great thing, you know? And then I'm going to say... Then I'm going to say humbuckers, then tellies, although I love tellies, and then I'll, I'll put filtertrons at the bottom. So because, similar. It's just my tellies is mm-hmm. a little bit higher. And, it, and, and honestly, to me, that's what I like playing. I love the sound of tellies. I actually think I try sometimes in my live EQ adjustments. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes I'm actually making my guitar sound more telly-esque than I do. You know what I mean? Like I feel like tellies actually have the type of sound I want live. Right, but I really love a tremolo, and so it keeps me away from really falling in love. I have a great telly. It was my number one guitar for a couple of years when I was doing the pub and club thing, mm-hmm. and um, but then after that, I got really into trems. I got my first Sur with the first five ten bridge, and that's when I really fell in love and started to feel like there's a no compromise tremolo. And now I found lots of guitars and lots of bridges that have it. But before that, I was just playing some Fender stuff that would you know I'd get used and stuff, and I didn't really know how yeah. to set up a tremolo system and and it'd be you know well these always go out of tune a little bit so i'll lock it down and then you're really not even using it in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> we have differing opinions we do have different opinions mine are so loose you could sometimes i just whisper to it yeah. and it starts shaking <laughs> on a set you know i just yes i just i can yell at mine it. and they don't they right don't no yours are down on the body you yeah. know but hey that's that's sort of a, the classic way of doing it. John Mayer does it that way. Lots of greats I, I, do it that way. I, I just I mean, like the, the spank that I get from yeah. having that really hard bond. And if you and if you do any double stops and bends and stuff, you, you really have to have it against the board if you're going to do it. So if you're, at least in that way, you jump from a telly to a strat, you're going to notice big time if you don't have the, right. the thing down. And that's the thing. And maybe that comes from my love of tellies that I want my strats to have that kind of spank that they do. Yeah. Which is probably true. Yeah. Um, well, do we have any questions? I wonder what questions are on the internet right now. Mm-hmm. Mm, let's find out. 
Where's the boob mug? Where's the, <laughs> where's the boob mug? It's probably a question. It's upstairs. <laughs> and uh, Right next to my favorite niece. Okay, here's one, because we were talking about Helix and HX Tom stuff. Release date for the Embrit HX Stomp preset pack. When are you going to get it out, man? A lot of people are asking about it. You and me are both talking about that community. It's just like they're asking for more stuff, I feel like. When are you going to get some more stuff out? What's your release date? I know you're working on it. I am. And actually, uh, I had some stuff come up. I was going to, I thought it was done. I mean, I, I pretty much had it all done, have all the files and the folders. So now it's a matter of, you know, you do this making demo videos or some way to right, show what right. the sounds are. Right. And that's what I was doing all day yesterday. I was trying to make demo videos. And as I was doing that, I'm thinking maybe I need one more week of tweaking on it. So, so how, what are you planning? Like, you know, tease the people. How are you, how have you done this? You're limited on six blocks. Right. So, um, I don't think it's going to be a very effect heavy pack. It's going to be really basic. Focused on I want people tones. that, yeah, just focus on amp tones. And, and that's the problem I have with that unit is just there's, what, 20 built-in amps, 25? And yeah, like some that. of them, I think, are better than others. And right. What's I, your favorites? The Mesa Lone Star is my favorite, mm -hmm. cleanish. Uh, the Plexi Bright is my favorite, gainy type amp. There's some other cool stuff. The Matchless is really nice. The Fawn uh, AC, AC is Fawn, nice. Yeah. Uh, I like that one. The PRS Arshan, the new one. Mm -hmm. uh, it's okay. It's got a good high gain sound. Um, but those are the ones I tend to gravitate towards. I knew an Arshan in, uh, in high school. Did you really? Mm -hmm. Did he make the PRS amp? Uh, no, yeah. good basketball player though. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I find some of the mod amp models, I just really struggle with to make them sound yeah. the way I think is good. How many, um, so, so I have some with stock cabs. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you don't, if you do want to free up that extra block, you can do that. And then I've got some that use my IRs. Are you using dual IRs on anything? No, just because it's so sure. you're so limited on blocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I did some with hardly any effects that is for guys that have a pedal board and they're just wanting to run this as the last thing mm -hmm. as right. an amp. They want to use their pedal board. So really they're all you want. I think that's a really popular setup. I think all they're going to want is amp, amp and reverb mm -hmm. or maybe amp and delay and reverb. Stereo mono on those? Um can you are you running two amps on any there's of them? There's one that I'm running two amps on. Right, sure. And then uh, the other one, there's a couple that I've I've got on a switch, so you can basically toggle between the Lone Star Clean and the Plexi Dirty. Yeah, which is very cool. cool. And so, there's going to be IRs with it, right? Yeah. There's going to be some of your IRs are going to yeah. be in there. And I'm doing separate ones than all the ones I did before. Oh, cool. So new IRs. New IRs, yeah. That's very cool. I, my ears change, or just I don't know. I can sure. listen to something I did last week and not like it's a, it. It's a different piece of gear. You release those IRs. Yeah. And uh, it's yeah, you know, there's and been I'm, new new models have come out for for the HX family and Helix since since your IRs came out. So and every time I shoot new IRs, they sound slightly different. Some may be better 100%. than others, and um, you know, it's just trying to find ones that work. I shot some free IRs specifically for the HX thing, and I felt like I was miking it up and playing the Helix through a power amp going through there. I just set the mics up differently than I yeah. normally would. You know what I mean? Yeah. With my Sir Cap, I just know, I know where I like putting the mics. I go right there, and then I listen. And nine times out of ten, I'm right where I want to be. Right. You know what I mean? Same two mics. Although lately, I have really started liking the 906 over a 57. Really? And I don't know if it's the combination because I've been experimenting with some different pre's. Yeah. But... 906 is a good mic. There's a little... If I had just used one mic and not two, the 906, 906 is my Exactly. Choice. You know what? Not that, the 609. No, the 609 is boxy. Agreed. Mid-rangey. Agreed. I had a 609 and returned it. <clears throat> this is like a year ago, though, so I never really A-beat them together. Mm -hmm. But agreed. Someone just reached out to me and asked, 
I, I have one mic, I, or they said I have a hundred fifty dollar budget. I want to get the best mic I can to make profiles of my amp. And I said, you should go get a 906 and you should put it in front of the amp and then you should listen to it because you're probably going to find you want a little more bass on the amp to make up for whatever, you know, the 906 isn't going to pick up just being dynamic and be, you know, but you know, just EQ it. If if you can hear the 906 signal by itself, I I a hundred percent agree. Cool. 906 one. I need to start trying out some new mics and stuff because I've been yeah. using the same stuff forever. I've got three different 57s that I kind of rotate between. Right. They sound different. They do. I've got one of the old Unidynes with the switch on it and everything. I think the reason I, I'm switching is because my favorite 57 doesn't belong to me. It belongs to a buddy and it was in the studio I was using. Uh, and so now that I've been doing stuff here at home in my amp booth uh, that I built, um, I think I'm just hearing the difference in a couple 57s. Cause I really feel like I've only tried like two or three 57s next to each other, mm-hmm. but be- between these three 57s, I feel like they sounded mostly the same except for the low end. It seemed like they were either a little, they seemed like they were just either fuller sounding or not as full sounding. And I don't know, maybe the high end was different or what, but hmm. I just felt like some of them were, they're not drastically different. But some were like bright and thin. Other ones were like bright and mid rangey. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. They're still so, bright. I mean, still 50, 70. Still have that 2K. Light. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, which sounds great in a live mix. It does. It's, you know, it, well, we've heard it for so many years because right. it's been the mic that everybody's used to mic guitar amps for so many years. Right. It's like a Paizo acoustic pickup. Right. It's, you've heard them live for so many years. When you get a guitar that doesn't have that, it just has a sound old pickup. Right. Or it's got the expression system. Yeah. The expression. It's, it just, you're missing something because yeah. your, your ears are just so used to hearing those certain frequencies. So, um, release date on these fabled, hopefully next week, hopefully next week. Yeah. It's so, just a matter of me getting, getting home from here and doing some more demos. Well, I'm trying to think what I'm going to, uh, yeah. when I'm going to put this audio. <laughs> oh, <together>. gotcha. <laughs> Sometime soon. Maybe this week. First of March, maybe. <laughs> maybe th- there we go. That'll be better. Yeah. No, a couple of days, usually two or three days. It takes yeah. me to get these up. But um, I wish I had another person that would just do that part of the job for me. The demo stuff? Yeah, because I feel like people are not wanting to hear me play anymore. I mean, I've, if you look at how many demo clips I've done, and it's all the same four licks over and over. My wife even you know, says, you don't want to play music. You just make these same licks over and over. They're the same things. So every now and then she'll ask me to play right. a song. And I'm like, I don't know any songs. Right, right. I know bits of noise. You know, man, I think to me, I think the people who are serious about listening to them, they're going to listen to the tone. They're going to listen to the sound and the people who aren't serious are going to notice, you know what I mean? But I mean, the players who want the stuff, they're going to do it. And quite honestly, look, let's, let's, I'm just going to call spade a spade here. You you might not share this opinion with me. (laughs) The stuff we sell, both of us, whether it's Helix, Kemper, is all such a bargain in, in, in terms of price. Yeah. It, if a demo's decent, I think for a lot of people, if you like a Lone Star, if you're trying to use an HX Stomp as your rig, it's easier to buy these things and test them out yourself than to wonder for too long. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, it's if this is your sound all the time, it's like it's worth whatever the price is going to be because it's che- they're cheaper than pedals. They're they're you know what I mean? Like these way cheaper, than way pedals. cheaper. It's I like, mean, it's like, cup, will this two cups of coffee? Yeah. Will this more pedal used yeah. get me good tone? Like, <laughs> would this fix my things? Like people would do that without a doubt. So like, as long as people can hear that this, that it's not, you know, you know, gent metal. Yeah. It's something in their ballpark. 
they're gonna well even when i'm playing those clips and stuff i'm not thinking about what i'm playing really right i'm thinking of when i play these chords down at the nut can i hear every string Mm -hmm. Uh, what's the tonal balance you know and when i'm playing single note stuff do they have girth to them or you know the high strings sound thin i'm thinking of all those things when i'm playing i'm not really thinking about what i'm playing half the time it's just my same five licks that i play over and over do you have like a go-to on the kemper you use browse mode a lot right yeah and and you mostly throw in some effects on the browse mode so you're mostly using those four stops up there that you're programming in yeah those four foot switches however you do them do you have what's your go-to right now profile yeah do you have a go-to like yeah or, or has the or or over the past year two years what's that situation well, for the like? longest time my go-to was just a clean third power blackface mm-hmm. sound yeah um the one in pack two that one your it's actually NBA. it's similar most similar to the one in pack one but it, it's just a newer profile i did that's not really out on the uh, see here you go but do you know what you just did you jet see this is listen. But here's the deal i i, I don't feel, <laughs> yeah. i feel bad about saying here's another profile that same amp that you've already bought but yet this is better but how can i continue to sell that one right 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 and so is it i don't better just, or it's just different what's the difference right i mean it's better to me at that point in time but i may go back and think no this one's better the original one that i someone liked. once before you and i knew each other, i just this just came back to me before you and i knew each other i remember a while ago someone like telling me like I have like one of Embrit's personal profiles, ones he hasn't sold. <laughs> and I remember at that moment thinking, because um, I get a similar thing. I get people saying, I've had this comment once or twice on Tone Junkie stuff. Um, I have this pack and it doesn't, it doesn't, the profiles you're selling don't sound like the ones in this demo. And I'm always going back to like, what would I have to gain by making a profile that sounds great, doing a demo of it, and then doing like a bait and switch with something else. Why would I give you something that doesn't sound as good? What right. you're still going to, you're just going to buy and be unhappy. How would that make me? That's why. So I immediately at that time thought, well, listen, if he didn't put it out, like what does, what would Michael have to gain by making the most awesome profile and going, this is so good. I'm only going to keep it for myself because if I put it out, what? Lone Star would get booked less. Like, like, no. like what? Right? Like, right. what? What would be the motivation no. for like having a secret profile that you don't that you don't release? But now that you've said this, it's only because it's amps that have already profiled and released. Right. But right. How many times? It's like beating a dead horse. Now it's like, going to be rumors. Now it's going to be like, hey, I've got some, that I, and it's mainly the amps that I've kept forever. My Third Power, my Seventy Two Marshall. I've profiled this so many times. Right. Right. Trying right. to beat. Right. And like I'll be on the road and. I think, man, I wish that that one Marshall tone had more mid-range in it or whatever. So I'll go home and reprofile it. And it may be 1% different. Right. And maybe I'll start using that one. But they're all so similar to the ones in pack one. How how much do you feel like when you sit down to profile an amp, it's luck? Like today it sounds great. Oh, yeah. You know, and then other times it's like, it's just not quite there. And then another time you try again and it is there. And I... People, I'll, I'll profile new amps or whatever, new, make new profiles, and I'll tell a buddy of mine, hey, I profiled this today, and he'll always ask, are they any good? I always say, I don't know. I really yeah. don't until you go back. you got to go back. It's true. Because everything sounds good the day that I'm doing it. Sure. You know, I'm making it. I'm moving mics. I'm doing everything to make it sound what I think is good for that day, and it's only time will tell. if it. That's why it takes me so long to put out stuff, because I, 
I'd second guess myself constantly. How do you monitor when you're profiling? <clears throat> like, or is it different? Or and then and then always and then, my ear molds, my UE sevens. And then when you go back and dial stuff in, do you use different. Do you? I'll still tweak to those the mm-hmm. ear molds, but the I'll also check on studio monitors. It's like once I get it close to where I think, okay, yeah, they're they're this good. Sounds right. Then I'll do your make a cassette tape and go listen in the car kind of yeah. thing when you're when you're doing a mix or whatever burn it on a CD and go listen to it on little speakers right um, so that's when I'll plug in my Zytone or put it through my QSC speaker yeah. and just kind of test it and if it's I don't tweak to those but I'll play it and I'll go okay it's in the ballpark and then I trust my ears yeah it's funny because uh, like what you're saying you, you have to you know we throw around the terms like FRFR yeah and everything sounds different. Oh, absolutely. Every single thing sounds different. Every pair of studio monitors, every pair of headphones, yeah. every FRFR. To me, like, I have some headphones. I mean, they're not like studio-grade headphones. or these Audio-Technica ones that I just I sometimes use on the podcast. And then I'll the listen. ATH? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I got. So I'll listen on there just to hear what it sounds like on something different. Um, but usually not. But usually what I'm using are... Um, my HS8s or a Friedman cab or the Mission cab. And so when I dial stuff in, I use that Friedman cab. So as I've been profiling, I've started feeding the Kemper through that Friedman cab. But no matter what I use, before I do anything, I have to sit and listen to past profiles on that thing. Because like they both sound like a Vox mm-hmm. when I put it through the Friedman or when I put it through my monitors. But having it at different heights... Have, there's definitely low end and a bigger speaker. It doesn't matter what doesn't matter what studio monitors you get. Right. There's more low end and bigger speakers. They're not going to sound like a guitar amp. Right. They're going to sound like a spit. Right. I mean, and you can listen to it and go, that sounds like a Vox, but it sounds like a Vox is mic'd up in the next room coming through these speakers. Right. So you've always got to just know what and then what you're playing through. Our biggest job is to guess what they're going to be playing these things right. through. I mean, we we don't guess guess, but I mean you've got multiple things that you can listen to yeah. to try to f- cover most of the bases. I've got the little QSC Q10, yeah. Yeah. K10. Um, but it's just trying to figure out all that stuff is kind of maddening after a while because you want it to sound good on everything, but you can't, you just cannot make it sound good on everything. It's true. You can't. Did you get, do you ever get that? People saying I, I download these, they don't sound the yeah. same. Oh yeah. I never, I don't I get can- it a ton, but it's, yeah, because I I go out of my way when I'm recording clips. I don't add any EQ on the exactly, console. Exactly. I don't add any compression. I don't do anything to it. And as soon as I'm done, I hit save, save. Or right. Save. That's it. And then I don't touch it again. I'm always thinking too, like when 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 that because I, I don't want to disappoint people and tell them, well, you got to buy my same guitar because I don't want to. I'm not trying to communicate to them that like the Kemper is such a thing. Um, I think of this thing as I'm gonna break. Um, uh, the Kemper is such a thing that you need to like. Um, I have completely taken my microphone off the table. Now. What is happening? It's going to be a very large lapel mic you've got. Um, okay, I'm just going to talk into it while I fix it. On the video edition, this is going to be very impressive. Um, but basically, no, what, what I'm noticing is like, I don't want to put out there that like you have to have the same guitar as the profiler had. Because right. I don't think that's true at all. Because you and me are talking about we're jumping around on different guitars right. and we're Really, we're requiring that of the profile. It's got to sound good on right. these different, you know, sort of um, on these different pickups. And so we know they sound good with different stuff. But 
you can't plug in a very different like piece of gear and expect <laughs> you can't plug in a very different piece of gear and expect it to sound the exact same and you can't get a very different like uh um you know monitoring system whatever that is whether that's um speaker and stuff the people <laughs> i just looked over <laughs> michael Britt is helping me with uh i don't know what i did i think i was trying to tighten it and i loosened it is that is that tight? There we go. Um, <clears throat> Success. All right. We're back in business. It, you know, what do you do? I just tell people, well, can, do you want to watch one of these videos where I show you how to make your profile sound? Well, I mean, Steve Ray Vaughn wasn't going to use a ah, super high output humbucker. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Marty Stewart's not going to use a super high output humbucker. You know, it's right. like, it's the style of music. And... I think most people know what my playing sounds like, and it's kind of in that half rock, half blues, half country kind of field. Yeah, um, it's a lot of halves. So that's kind of it's three halves, <laughs> um, maybe a third of each. Thing. <laughs> um, but you know, that's where my tones live. I don't play super hard rock stuff, but you know, I also grew up in the eighties. I, sure. I, here's what I noticed: so like, you're you're in a different uh, what's the word? era you know sure. you're a little bit younger than me yeah your hair's not gray your beard's not gray yet yeah. um you're I'm actually 52 i just eat a lot of bananas well the same age sounds good. um you're stopped up aren't you so <laughs> your gain level that you love i saw and you're tweaking the things is, is yeah. kind of in that four range yeah it looks like yeah you know and i just grew up in a era that my cleans were cleaner and my dirties were dirtier. Right. Right. So I don't live in that four range so much as I live in the two and a half mm -hmm. for my cleans and then the five range for my light overdrive stuff. Yeah. But it's just the style that you get used to in playing. It totally is. I, my favorite sounds are really for me. Um, uh, my, like my little performance that I put out that I tell people, this is what I use every weekend for Sunday morning stuff. Mm -hmm. My whole thing is like when I'm testing out an amp for for that purpose for a Sunday morning, I want the the neck and the middle to be clean if I play a little bit light. And if I dig in on the bridge, it just gets then it just starts to overdrive. I, I really always just want to be on that on that line. And then on top of that, I throw I like to throw tube screamers on top. Right. A lot of people, and this is a totally great way to do it. You can I'll have a cleaner clean. And then a profile that's more at the gain range of that middle thing I'm talking about with the tube screamer added on top. Yeah. And then if you want the tube screamer sound, just run the gain down. Because I actually am running some gain on my tube screamer. And I know, um, and I've done this, you know, everybody's tried this. You put the gain at zero, you still get that very desirable EQ curve that the right. tube screamer brings. But it's funny, I've actually been doing more and more uh, working in a little cleaner clean into my thing because I, I, I am starting to see a bit of the advantage of it and then gotcha. jumping over to the sort of profile in the middle with a tube screamer already turned on. And I'm so I'm, I feel like I'm actually trending. Uh, well, I got you know, a little different for the longest time. My, my like mid overdrive sound was around that five range in mm -hmm. the overdrive on the gain knob. And then at some point last year I started just using, I think I'd made one, one rig, one song rig and I just used my regular clean sound, but I added the stomp uh, tube screamer, yeah. but only around 55% yeah, mix. Yeah, yeah. Uh, gain, you know, about 10 o'clock. Um, and I thought it's, and then I would AB that with my normal overdrive sound. Um, and believe it or not, the clean with the little stomp screamer 
sounded bigger, like the notes sounded bigger, sounded less compressed overall. So towards the last part of last year, I started changing all my live song rigs to kind of use more clean sounds with that screamer added instead of using the mid-gain right, overdrive. Right. And then, then I found that divide by 13 rig during the Christmas tour. And so I use that kind of the same way. Which, which divided so it's by? the LDW. The LD, the it was on my first pack. Yeah. yeah. That Marshall, that's a good amp. But it's, it's a rectified Marshall. So it sounds different. Interesting. I ended up picking up that very exact amp again. I like bought it. Really? Yeah. Cause it was, I fell in love with those profiles and I was like, yeah. I need to see if this amp's around. Were those the ones that, um, what was it? you guys were playing with somebody and the other guitar oh, player yeah. was using yeah he, phil vassar's guy yeah 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 yeah, yeah. phil vassar yeah jeff was using that ldw rig and i was right. like why does your sound bigger Turned than my third back on power clean it. so i switched my third power clean over to that and i was like well there it is it does isn't sound it, bigger isn't that amazing you release so much stuff you forget how much you like something and then yeah. you come back to it and it's like wow all the time like on the great. kemper forum people will say they love this or that rig i'm like i never use those i need to go back and <laughs> see because i mean yeah i just i've made so many that there's no way i can because i'll just get on whatever works for me at that point in time yeah like i feel like in my head there's a couple that always stick out like i like this i like this but there's the in-between ones you forget yeah. about but when you were doing them they were exciting oh, they yeah, had they something you were into you know right. and it was like this is great i i'm using this now you know and and you just forget. I did. I mean, I told you about my little stinky Princeton, right? Did I tell you that story? The recording app? Yeah. The Princeton recording app? Yeah. I mean, I just saw it in a guitar center right, for 400 right. bucks. I thought, oh, it's a tube Princeton, you know, mm -hmm. for 400 bucks. Where are you going to find that? I'll just buy, you know, I won't use all the fancy gadgets on it. Sure. And, um, man, some of those profiles, that thing just profiled really well. Yeah. You just never, I never know what amp is, because I'll have an amp that I'm super excited about, and I try to profile, and it just fights me, and I get so frustrated. There's so many things that can make a difference. Tubes can make a difference. The speaker could not be worn in. And the same thing with that definition thing, you know, because yeah. whatever amount of low end is going into the gain circuit, to me, that has something to do with it. Yeah. And it, some amps just fight me on it. Um, we were We were about to do some questions, and then... Somehow we did one and got way off topic, but I think that was, I think that was useful. That's unlike us to ramble about useless things. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Um, have you experienced a micro delay when playing through pedals in front of the Kemper? I don't do that. So, so this is, this is, I'm going to say this, this is what I've noticed. Sometimes I notice people talk about delay or latency on the Kemper I've almost always found it's another component. So I have experienced it on on my computer when I'm doing too much. I am delaying there. I, I will experience some latency, right. but I've never not been able to get rid of it by freeing up space by whatever, or by looking and realizing, oh, my processor's like completely clocked right now. Right. And you and I know that going front of like there's, we, you plug into an FR, FR cab and we don't perceive any latency. So it's not in the Kemper micro delay in pedals to answer the question, unless it's a digital one, the amount of delay or the latency, there's always latency present in everything. If there's any audio to digital or digital audio converters, you're going to get latency. Yeah. It has to do the math. And so, but the question is, is it like significant enough for you to even notice or hear it? Right. Because there's a level there that you're not going to perceive. 
And that's what those converters are all going for. Right. So in general, high quality ones are going to, you're never, you know, no latency. Well, no latency means almost no latency. Right. One to two milliseconds, three milliseconds, maybe. And I mean, really, theoretically, um, there's latency going into a tube amp because electricity has to travel. Right. And that's what the signal is. So that's an amount of latency. We don't perceive there's latency or something. And I forget how many feet is a millisecond. But, sure. You know, it's depending on how far you are, there's latency. If you're here, you've got it. a 20 foot cord yeah, and you're yeah, that yeah. far away. No, we know that because <clears> what happens <throat> if you put a mic further back and another one closer up? Millimeters. Yeah. yeah. You, you've got now canceling because they're hearing the sound at different times. So unless it's a digital pedal, no. Um, there I'm, may be some just because there's converters in the Kemper, but I don't know why it would be different unless you Yeah, yeah why would it be different if there's, if there's pedals or no pedals in yeah, front, I, you know? The thing I have noticed with running pedals into the Kemper is since the Kemper has built-in leveling features in it, mm-hmm. some gain pedals will hit that leveling, and so they will sound more compressed sure. than, if they, than if it's just analog amp. Yeah, there's, there's definitely, because they've, we've talked about this disconnecting volume and gain, mm-hmm. well, that means there's limiting happening on the really gainy ones. You know, they are, they've been evened out. Right. So can you push them up? You can, but with the master volume or with something. Right. I always tell people if you're running into that, take a, um, a dirtier profile, clean it up a bit, and turn it up. Hmm. And um, you should get more headroom. And I haven't, I haven't played with the sensitivity on the input since to see if it's, that changes either. So some people find, uh, Stu G found this. He was just telling me about this. I know there's a couple people on on some of the Kemper groups that have found this, running the clean sense around negative three or so, they say helps. Hmm. Now, what Kemper says the clean sense does is not an input sensitivity, right? But people are saying that helps. What do we think the clean sense does? I haven't figured it out yet. So Kemper says that it's a way, it's a, it's like a sub volume that controls clean pro, the clean profiles and can bring them up or down in volume compared to distorted profiles. Okay, what it actually is doing, I'm not sure. But what I know, but what that means is when you actually go to use it, if you increase your clean sense, very clean stuff will increase in volume. The middle stuff changes a little bit, and the dirtier the profile, you eventually get to a point where you're not hearing any difference by moving that clean sense. So somehow it's controlling the profiles differently. You know what I mean? Like the cleaner the profile, the greater the effect. And it's getting louder, you think, by turning louder, up the louder. sense. And that's their ideas. If you want so your cleans louder or not as loud, because some players might want their cleans less loud. And so they want, so let's do that globally on the whole Kemper is the idea. With distortion sense is same thing, but for the distorted side, how can we control how distorted these distorted profiles are? Right. And they say that control is useful for if you've got a less Paul and it drives a profile hard, and then you pick up a telly and it doesn't drive it hard. If you want those two guitars to drive the same amount, turn up the distortion sense. Well, that's one use of it. Right. But what if you turn the distortion sense down? What's weird is when you turn it down, it doesn't. it's not like there's more difference between a Tele and a Les Paul now. Just there's the level the of the distortion seems to be changing. Right. So whatever the camera's doing, they've like broken up clean and dirty. And yeah. they're, they're like... I think, I guess they're controlling level or how they're mixed together or what. So it's very confusing. But all that to say, some people say that they're having good luck adjusting the clean sense for the purpose of like I have thought about pedals. using the clean sense 
because I noticed some of my mid-gain rigs around the five or so, sometimes I'll go to those and they'll seem to be a, it'll feel like the volume has dropped from my clean sense. Yeah. So if I turn the clean right. sense down, that should, I'm, I'm going to try that in this next. It's week. supposed to, yeah. or some people are saying it does. Okay. I, for a while told people, no, don't use the clean sense. I it haven't doesn't touched them. I'm more like still that. straight up. So yeah. I told people not to use it and that it's, that's not what it's for. And then people started telling me, you know, here's what I did and I feel like it helped. Gotcha. The other workaround, uh, I think I might, I might've told you, I don't remember if I told you this. Um, the other workaround some people have told me works, I haven't really tried it, is running a loop in slot A and then um, using the return of that loop as your input. So don't go into the input of the Kemper put a loop in slot A and where you would go out and in as that stereo loop in slot A or the mono loop in slot A come in through there. And when you um, turn that volume up on the loop, what happens is the that's the Kemper's boosting the send, but padding the return. So if you just come in, you're actually putting a pad. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. And so some people are saying having that pad helps them slam the Kemper with pedals and knock it, but that's more for clipping on the input. Right. But, but you can't, I don't think you can use the tuner when you do that. And I mean, it makes sense, but my question is just tonally, is that different than just turning down the signal going into the Kemper somehow? Right. Maybe you can't do that if it's a pedal that doesn't yeah. have a master. I don't know. I'm not running into these problems. Well, sometimes like, I feel complain about. And like some of this stuff, I mean, we're pretty smart and we tweak all this stuff all the time. Right. But right. Every now and then, like I was working on the Helix this week and I got into the input section, you know, and you can choose the impedance of the input. I'm like, I don't know what this is supposed to be. I mean, <laughs> I can put it on auto, but I actually like it over here and I right. don't even know why. It's right. like, I don't know. It's just like, I don't want to know all this stuff. Mm -hmm. At some point, I still want to be a guitar player. Right. And I just want to plug in and turn a few right. knobs as possible. Yeah. What is the, yeah. Yeah. Where's the Marshall sound? Yeah, exactly. Where's the box? And like you were talking about the tube screamer. <laughs> yes, I could figure out where I want the high and low cuts of this tube screamer of module, course. but just give me something that sounds like a tube screamer. Do you use any high low cuts on the Kemper? This question has been coming up a no. lot. Yeah. Me neither. I use it on other things like the Helix. I think it's really helpful on. Yeah. Um, probably the Fractal too. I mean, and you know, I probably used them on the Atomic, but the Kemper, I don't feel like I ever need that because I'm already, it's my input that I'm putting into it. So mm -hmm. I'm already trying to balance those. When, when you play live compared to the profiles that you produce and release, is there any normal EQ adjustments that you make? Like, this, do you find yourself lowering the bass a little bit for live stuff or no? This is probably so not what you're supposed to do, but I'll just, I'm a, sometimes I'll just turn every EQ knob up one light right? and it sounds better. I can put it back. I'm like, eh, it sounds kind of flat. Sure. You know, just adding those one little bits of all that little stuff. I mean, I'm talking less than a dB probably of each one. Right. But it, it kind of makes a more lively feeling to me. Yeah. I mean, whatever those things are tuned to, they yeah. just sound good yeah. going up. I usually cut a little bit of bass playing live, and but I'm, I'm using just really live. I almost only play the AC30 profiles gotcha. lately myself. So maybe this isn't true for all stuff, but I tend to just, as a rule of thumb, live, yeah. I feel like I need less low end than I did when I was by myself and I could full the, hear the full frequency of the guitar. So I guess that's a little bit of a low cut, but I, anything, not, I don't usually cut lows, but I'll add mids more than anything, right. especially on Marshall E sounds or something like that. It, you know, it's fun. you and me talked about how much we like the mid control one time. <clears throat> and in that video I did a couple days ago, how to dial in the profile. 
I turned up the mid control and in the room, I, I turned it up like really aggressively. And I was like, you know, you know, this is pretty aggressive, but it's fine. Then when I was listening to it back, I was like, that sounds so good. <laughs> I should play it higher. You know what I mean? Like yeah. for what, maybe psychologically, I'm just afraid to turn it because well, yeah. I don't want it to look ridiculous or something. But, you know, it's like, that's too much. But then I'm listening back. I'm like, that Strat sounds crazy good on the neck pickup yeah. with a Marshall and me adding that yeah. like neck. That just sounded killer. You know, um, a lot of my lead sounds like when I go to my Marshall lead sounds the, and or like I've got some Bogner ones that I use. Yeah. Um, I, that mid range is pretty healthy crank couple dB. I feel like if I want a lead sound, sometimes I'll add a tube screamer, but sometimes I'll just take whatever my heavy rhythm sound or whatever is go up one profile, go up one gain, mm-hmm. you know, degree or whatever the next profile and then just turn the mids up yeah and it's just all of a sudden single notes are where i want them to be yeah feels like the same amount of gain kind of but with just a little more let's see what else we got um let's see um what music inspires you guys when you're in a musical rut we mentioned jack jack's good guthrie's awesome uh big wreck is my favorite uh you're a big Thornley fan. Yeah, Ian Thornley. They've got a new song out this week called Locomotive, or last week, whenever it came out. He's just phenomenal. Yeah. I still get into ruts because it's so hard to listen to music because it's either stuff that I've heard a million times because I'm such a music lover. I've listened to the stuff that I like so much. Mm-hmm. Or if, if it's new stuff, I really have a hard time finding a lot of new music that I love. Yeah. And I'm a sucker for you know cheap pop, you know, Weezer. I, I think it's fun to listen to. Have you heard to. the new covers record? Oh, yeah. It's so good. I know. It's I mean, so it's good and bad at the same time. I mean, <laughs> I read a whole thing about how them covering Africa was actually a bad thing. And I, I don't disagree with the points that the guy was making. What were they? What were the points? That they basically watered down what was super quality musicianship because they're just copying it. They're basically making a Xerox of it. Right. They didn't do anything new to it. They didn't. And I can see their points. Yes, but in in their own way, they're probably paying homage to it because it's they are note for note ripping it. Did yeah. that was that was the one they released first, right? Yeah. And then they did the whole record after that because so. it got so popular. Yeah, I mean, I think it's cool that they can play all those songs. If I was in a band and I had the opportunity to play Africa and all those other cool stuff mm-hmm. that they did, I mean, I would not do it. To me, it's like they do do the, the things note for note it's oh, not yeah. like these are different versions these are straight up covers this is like if weezer decided to be a cover band oh yeah and, and decided to start playing some cover shows oh yeah this is the stuff people want to hear and would it they did no scrubs tlc i thought that was very good <laughs> <laughs> but to me it's like it it, it it may be note for note but it doesn't sound as as dated as i think the stuff from the 80s sounds right now yeah because Pop music right now is borrowing so much from the 80s. Right. But it doesn't have, it's not the same. There's elements that are carbon copied, but there's still a lot of other elements that are not carbon copied. It's still the 80s put through today's filter. And I think it's on a grid, which makes it a little less feel, you know. Yeah, right. That's true. I mean, Procaro didn't play on the grid most of the time. He didn't play to click. I mean, I saw, did you see the video that shows how it was like a real time running calibration of, or what, what the tempo was on that song. No. And so it's like going up and down little bits here and there, pushing and pulling, but that's it. You would never know it just listening to it. Right. But when things get on pro tools and get on a grid, you know, everything's very stable. It does kind of sterilize it a little bit. 
I just I just enjoy the record, and I'm not. And here's the thing. Oh, I too. I yeah, mean, I'm a, I love that last record, the Pacific Daydream. That was a great record. I, every Weezer record is great, and you know the real Weezer fans because they always hate the last record. Oh yeah, and they talk about the the previous ones. Mm-hmm. I remember. Of course, everybody loved Blue. Everybody loved Pinkerton. So I didn't even get into them back then. I've only gotten into them recently, so I'm a recent so convert. I got into them with Green, which was in the late '90s. <clears throat> And I remember thinking Green was so great. And and through Green, I discovered, and that was like, Green was like Hash Pipe and um, Going Surfing. And, and, uh, Did you see the Saturday Night Live skit about this? No. You, okay, go <laughs> Wait, look what, it up. Wait, about what? Did you really not see it? No. There's a whole Matt Damon Saturday Night Live skit about Weezer. And it's exactly what you said. Old Weezer fans hate the new stuff. New Weezer fans hate. Is this real? Oh, I have to see it's, this. It's yeah. It's it's exactly what you're describing. See, I'll tell you how I figured this out because, like I'm saying, I got into Just Green. Just look up SNL Weezer. On I'll look YouTube. it up. Yeah, it's. I got into Green, discovered Blue. Blue and Green to me were very similar records. You could hear a band was in different spots, but pop wise, they were great singable melodies mm-hmm. with these other elements in there. And then Pinkerton sat to me as an album so totally different. But I got into Pinkerton. I started really enjoying this. And what I noticed is people were always talking, green's not as good as blue, green's not as good as blue. Fast forward, a couple records come out, maybe later, by the time Make Believe was out, which was fairly recent. I mean, this was like, that was, well, no, no, no. That was maybe 06, 07, 08. I don't know. Make Believe is out. They're doing st- even more poppy. They're more pop driven. And I would hear on like people, I would hear people comment like, why doesn't Weezer get back to blue, green, Pinkerton, and then whatever, I forget the record that was after green, but they were thinking, and I was like, no, no, we hated those, right? I thought I was supposed (laughs) to hate green. I felt bad. And then I was like, I'm watching and yeah, it's exactly. So they're just like a few albums behind in their their evolution. Yeah. Whatever Weezer does today isn't as good as what they used to do. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. But I think everything Weezer does is great. I really have never disliked. I've only recently gotten into them. I've listened to Alt Nation in my car on series, yeah. and they they play a lot of Weezer. Killers, I love that last wonderful, wonderful album. It's one of the best new albums I've heard in a while. I don't think I've heard that, but I used to be into the Killers. And it's got Mark Knopfler playing on a song. Oh, it's, really? It's just it's every song. You can almost say this song reminds me of Simple Minds. This song reminds mm-hmm. me of whatever. Yeah. You know, the, you can tell where their influences came right, from. Right, this right, right. It's really cool. <laughs> and then before that, I'm trying to think of all the records that kind of got me out of ruts. That Magic, the first Magic record, mm-hmm. the one with uh, uh, Rude on it. That whole record is amazing. Yeah. Who's um, like the most inspirational guitar player that you, when you listen to them, you're like, I wouldn't even think of that. No, Jeff Beck. Yeah. I mean, he's just, I just watched a video this morning of him playing something, uh, brush with the blues or something like that. Oh my. I mean, just the note selection he does, never mind the whole up pulling in and out of notes, you know, with the bar and all that. He he makes his guitar sound like a half drunk blues singer in the best way possible. Sax player. Right, 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 right. Well, yes. yes. I mean, but crazy. He's doing this stuff that Charlie Christian would do. It's like, you can tell his brain's somewhere else on right. a different planet, like right. trying to figure out where to go. Yeah. And I'm just, I don't know. Yeah. While I'm trying to figure out what I should play, he's like thinking, what if I did this? What if I did this? What right. You know? And just going for it. Right. But effortlessly, like, I don't know. And some of the stuff is kind of just the chromatic, you know, slide up, you down. I could give, you know, 
crap about that, sure. but some of his note selections are just amazing. To me, there's like a place where people go where it's almost like there's just so much more emotion in it than melody theory whatever oh, like yeah. you know what i mean whether and 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 all this all the sloppiness or whatever just sort of works together i feel like vocally robert plank gets there and a lot of the live stuff mm-hmm. uh i feel jimmy page definitely gets there and in, in just the sloppiness of his thing but jeff beck is just he's just he's making that thing sing like it's a person it is like there's emotion in there's the guitar so many different timbres he gets out of it by the way he plays with his thumb or he's right. the volume knob it's just he gets more tone out of a couple little pro juniors or whatever he's using. Right. It's crazy. Jimi Hendrix had said that he believed, I, I don't know if this is an accurate quote, but I've heard him attributed as saying that he believed he had explored the uh, like tonal capability of the guitar in his playing. And Hendrix gets all sorts of different sounds. But if you think of when he said that, mm-hmm. effects were not in the same place. Amps were not in the same place. Pedals hadn't even started coming it, out. It really yeah. had I mean, the fuzz face. Yeah. Brand new. The maestro, you know, pedals and stuff. I wonder if that was someone's opinion in the 60s, if they would would listen through music of the past yeah. 40 years and 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 go, I wasn't even close. Yeah, I wasn't even close. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't, we weren't even, we weren't even scratching yeah. the surface. So Jeff Beck, who else? Uh, I don't know why John Mayer gets bagged on by everybody, but dude's a good player. I mean... You heard I his liked latest his, single? I liked his, uh, his very first pop album or whatever. Not the Room the for Room Squares. Squares. Yeah, yeah. Such great playing on it. Yeah. I mean, if that was my first real album to ever play on, I would just, I would stop. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not that good now. That's he's why that John's a genius, reason. though. He's reinvented himself four times. Oh, yeah. He's on the guy, you know, people hate on John Mayer. He's Madonna level. He's like, <laughs> he's Beyonce. Yeah. He's, he's white people's Beyonce. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I'm sorry, that, that was, that doesn't sound like, not like Beyonce is all of our Beyonce, but if you, if you are like, if you're like, like, I'm trying to think like, if you're like white sorority chick, yeah. you know what I mean? John Mayer has re like, cause I think like, if think today, if you're 35, right. If you're John's age, when you were in college room for squares made you swoon later he reinvents himself he makes like guitar and blues you know what i mean yeah i his fan he's he's aging with his fans in a way that like he's staying so relevant even his montana stuff do you remember when he went insane and went to montana's or wearing big that was my favorite record is born to uh, born to born and raised love that record. and then i listen to that over and over the little submarine song it's amazing that's so good queen of of california what was the next one he did he did two yeah i didn't have i it born and raised, and there's another one he did. I can't remember. I think remember I bought called. the second, the one right after that, and I didn't like yeah. it as much. But it may just because I wasn't as familiar with the songs. I listen to Born and Raised front to back right. so much. Right. It's like my if I'm going to chill out right before bed. I mean, Queen of California is the best song for that. What's the submarine one in there? The uh, man with the submarine. You know, it's about the guy yeah, who builds a submarine and goes for a little. Um, Walt Grace's submarine. Right? Yes. It's so. Yeah. Honestly, some of those songs it's are one of the ones. best songs I've ever heard. I know. I love that song. I don't know how. I don't know. And it's what's funny is Didn't I it make lo- you like tear up. I mean, I was playing it with my kids and we got the last hold up. The it keyboard does. pads under it, it. It's just amazing. And it's like a beauty. You know what it reminds me of? Of like a Shel Silverstein kids book. Like yeah. it's that touching. You know, oh, yeah. you ever read those with your kids and stuff? And Chris like, Bodie played the trumpet on it, which I met Chris before when he played for Sting and stuff. Wow. So it's just, I just, I have a great affinity for that album. Yeah. 
That's one of the best ones. That's so funny. I didn't, I didn't know you even liked that record, oh, but I love, I love it. it. And I love that Mayer has a... And the songs are folky. You know, they're, yeah. they're truly about telling a story, and they all have that kind of folky kind of cadence to them where they're... I think what's great about that record is the record's not about John. Mm-hmm. And all his music had been about John. Room for Squares is about being a struggling musician, trying to find yourself. Right. You know, I am driving up 85 and the type of morning that lasts all afternoon. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, it's a hundred percent. Yeah, totally. He, he's talking about all the stuff he would do. <clears throat> I remember he tells a story like, yeah, I used to go to Atlanta and play here in this op- in this like cafe. And then I would go here and go there, you know, and literally I took exit 85 to get there. I'd drive four hours, do the mm-hmm. thing. And all the music's about John. Then he gets his music gets very egocentric, right? It gets, it becomes, I'm connecting with music that I think is beautiful. Like he's connect, he starts playing with double trouble. That's like his flirting with the blues. He forms a John Mayer trio. It's all about like, and then he wins a couple Grammys and stuff, right? Well, mm-hmm. he wins the Grammys with Continuum, but it becomes egocentric. His, his whole career is egocentric until he has like a sort of a, personality crisis right and he talks about it now he talks about i was self-absorbed he gives it all up or gives it all up he just runs away he realizes i don't really love who i am right now he goes to montana and then all of a sudden comes out a little bit crazy he's wearing weird clothes big hat or horse blankets yeah yeah (laughs) and then he's like and then and i think what it makes that record is like he's going through a process of like I've been egocentric and, and and not everything's about me. Like the world's not about me. And so his music stops being about himself and it's beautiful. It's still about himself, but it's not from the same perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Like whiskey, whiskey, whiskey. It's just yeah. very kind of like just spilling right. it out there, you know? Like, but I feel like they're the stories about people Yeah. rather than just like. Well, Walt Grace is definitely, that's totally just, right. I don't know where that came from out of his head. It made me go like Google it, see if it really yeah. happened. It was so realistic yeah. in With, the song. Isn't like I work with these songwriters and uh, uh, on like the business side of their thing, and I used to do a little bit of writing. I wrote a little bit when I came to Nashville, and then and then I realized I'm not really like 100 percent into this. You know what I mean? Um, but you know, you're good. You, you come up with melodies, you do stuff. You know what I right. mean? Whiskey, 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 water, repeat. Mm-hmm. Is that not the most genius way right. to say? I'm I'm in a spiral and I can't get out. Absolutely. To say like it's the most romantic way to say mm-hmm. I have a drinking problem. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's the words of a poet. <clears throat> oh yeah. To just be like I'm just stuck. It's very Dylan-esque. That whole record. It's so Dylan-esque. And the whole uh, Olivia, you know, something. Yeah. Like, something it's just, about Olivia. Just clever little, you know. He, it's it's not his girl, but he still loves her. He wants something like that. Right. I don't know. It's just really it's a great record. Right. It's one of my favorites. See, but like you can. I feel like you compare that with the guy's always been a wordsmith. You know what I mean? He, he's got this one song talking about sitting at a, at a table. He's about to ask a girl out and he describes playing chess with the salt oh, yeah, and the pepper, salt shaker, pepper shaker, yeah. you know? And it's like, it's that's But yeah, you're right. I feel like, the guy bears a soul in his music. Have you heard his latest single that just came out? Because he's not really releasing albums. He's sort of releasing albums in pieces until they're a whole album and calling them an album. Gotcha. But he just came out with a, another tune. And Instagram's been going crazy because, 
One, he does this little tapping riff all the time now where he bends a note, taps it, which is an old trick, right. but John puts it on Instagram and it's a genius. He has a Saturday night show on Instagram <laughs> where he just is, people are tuning in. I mean, the guy has, his, his Instagram's on fire. He, every Saturday night is doing, I forget hmm. what it's called now. Um, you can always catch it on his, uh, uh, on his, on his channel, but he, he's playing an old Epi 335, uh, an old Epi 330, uh, casino, yeah. like, like an ES 330 casino type yeah. guitar. And he's just making it sing. Yeah. He's playing. I, I went and copied the riffs, you know, I learned the riffs and I'm just like, how does he make it sound like that though? Yeah. It's so like nuanced. It's the simplest couple little riffs. They're just so deep in the pocket. They're just so emotional. <laughs> Speaking of deep in the pocket, no. Yeah. I, I, he gets a lot of bad rep and stuff, kind of like Nickelback, you know, but his music. They're not out. number three of bands that inspire you, are they? No, but I've heard. <laughs> I, I've got some Nickelback albums that I just flat love. You really? Know? Yeah. They're, they bring out my 18-year-old, 17-year-old sure. kid in me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just rocking. That, that Dark Horse album that Mutt Lang produced. Yeah. Um you know, kind of suspect songs, you know, where they're a little bit titillating and kind of just yeah. childish, but man, huh. production on it is so good. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Have you not heard that record? Uh, I, I don't think I've gotten too close to that. I mean, I've heard the big Nickelback stuff, yeah. but I've well, never really sat that, down with their music. Just listen to that album just one day, just for, just for quality. You're going to take, a, you're going to take some flack in the comments for this. Oh, I will. <laughs> it's you. I mean, when the song, you look so much better with something in your mouth. I mean, it's not a high quality, you know, we're not talking yes. John Mayer poetry. Yes. Right, right, right. I know, know what you mean. I know yeah, what you it's, mean. But it's, it hits that 18-year-old kid that just wants yeah. to just... And the cool thing about his singing, I mean, he's not the best singer in the world. Sure. But to do that, and he, I don't know if you know, but he doubles everything. Everything's harmonized, but it's so, mm. he's so gravelly. It sounds like one voice. Mm. sounds like he's one of those, you know, yeah, yeah. Tibetan monks that right, sings right. multiple notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know, it's just really well done. Um, I'm pretty sure people are going to put the, this is, look they're, at this photograph in the comments. <laughs> I don't love all Nickelback. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I just appreciate, I just don't want to bag on people if they're, they're sure. putting some decent quality yeah. stuff. So the next pack is the uh, Chad Kroger signature pack, with Kemper pack, John Mayer, yeah, with, <laughs> with a Trying something to hit all the haters in the world. Who else can with, I? With a something about Olivia performance. Built yeah. in. <laughs> right. Did you ever see that video, uh, the YouTube video? It's this guy that uses his kids' toy drums and stuff to play uh, Saturday Night Fever, but as a metal version. No, <laughs> so he's got this like little toy drum kit. He's doing that. He's whatever these guitars, but he's truly a talented singer and player. Right. But yeah, he does uh, staying alive in a metal version on his kids' toy instruments, and it is fantastic. That'll inspire you. I should, you know, in a similar vein, I do really enjoy um, uh, Tiny Desk Concerts, yeah. which is a series on uh, that NPR puts yeah. out. There's a bunch of great performances over the years. I mean, you kind of got to, it's really artist dependent, right. but it's a great format of like, let's bring a band in and they'll play in the office. And uh, what made me think of that is that Wilco comes in and I think they play on like a little toy drum set, like a little yeah. mini. And there's, it's kind of like the Jimmy Fallon, you know, with school, yeah. school instruments and stuff like that. <laughs> right. Those are always, that one with Adele was a fantastic. Yeah. I remember the Jimmy Fallon and the Roots doing that one. Did you see uh, Jack Black um, doing a saxophone on Jimmy Fallon? No. He pl- it's a kid's saxophone that has like a 
thing programmed in. Right. And he starts like playing it and then he runs over and the roots join him. <laughs> so, you know, you press it and it's like. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> anyway. Um, funny. I'm going to get some flames for Nickelback and yeah, John Mayer. Yeah. No, that you, I'm, 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 I'm with you. I'm with you. Not many people know that born born and raised. No, that's that's, I love that thing. You have to be a Mayer fan. I'm a big John Mayer fan. I I really there's no music he's put out that I don't like. I wasn't a huge fan of the trio stuff. I mean, because I love Pino Palladino and and uh, the drummer uh, Steve Jordan, amazing. And I love the stuff Steve Jordan did with uh, Los Los Lonely Boys. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Great stuff. But I just wasn't a fan of that music. And I'm a huge Pino fan from all his other stuff he's done. Yeah, Pino's incredible. Uh, Jordan, uh, 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 Steve Jordan, um, it, the guy can play the most simple beat and make it just sound, yeah, just like such a groove. I don't yeah. even know how that how. And his snare drum always sounds like a wicker basket, it's just so warm and <laughs> yeah. just kind of yeah. cozy. It's just. I think, I think to me the the trio stuff is like a great. I'd love to see John do the trio now because I think it would kick the butt kick butt of what the real trio stuff was yeah because a lot of that was if like even the tour he did so i saw him live fillmore san francisco with just the trio and then after that he did um where the light is which was him doing acoustic stuff up front um with robbie mcintosh doing a bunch of great slide stuff yeah then he would do a set with the trio then he would do the full band set Hmm. and it was like it was a little indulgent yeah but to me, the trio stuff got better and better until there wasn't a trio anymore. And I feel like as a musician, I'd love to see him get into that now. Luckily, it seems like if we've learned anything from like Eric Johnson and, and Jeff Beck and these other guys, John's probably going to hit the age here. Because what is he, 38? Um, no, he might be 40. I don't know what he is. John's at the age where he's we're definitely gonna get some sort of hendrix thing coming coming out there's something that happens to like musicians at a certain age right where they almost go into like a full like hendrix is god i'm paying homage and i'm doing well, the whole thing and he they had just his wore... flirting on continuum with the with the jeff beck tremolo stuff he right, did a little right. bit of that and now he's in the grateful dead world you know playing all the jerry garcia stuff there was some stuff he did the trem he did some trem stuff that was very Beck after Continuum Two. Remember when he had that 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 what was that song about Jennifer Aniston? Oh, that the Jessica Simpson one. Uh, I thought the the Heartbreak Warfare. That, that was, one. That's that was, what I meant. That's yeah, the yeah, one yeah, with yeah. the yeah yeah. That's yeah, the Jeff yeah, Becky yeah, yeah. kind of. What that stuff. record called? That was after Continuum, oh, I don't know. wasn't it's it? It's not on Continuum. It was right after that. Oh, okay. See, I get it. What was I that record? I kind of stopped. There's buying. a record in between. Yeah, there's two records. I can never remember the name of that one. It wasn't called Heartbreak Warfare. The song is, but I was thinking maybe the record yeah. was called that too. Anyway, it's not like we don't have all information at our fingertips. We, we just, really could. <laughs> I'm not going to look. Anyway, people are going to go. Um, people are going to say that the Tom Jogging Podcast is now a John Mayer podcast, exactly. John Mayer fan show. Um, if you don't like John Mayer, like I've said this on other episodes of the podcast, there's some music you're allowed to not like. Yeah. And there's some music where if you, if you make fun of it too much, it's okay to say you don't like it. But if you say it's bad music... I lose respect for your opinion of music. <laughs> right. So what was that band? So for who was, who just won some like Grammys or something? And I didn't watch this. People were like, no, they suck or something. Oh, was it the, uh, brothers, the Greta Van Fleet? That was it. Yeah. T- 
to me, if you listen to Greta Van Fleet and you say they suck, I just say, no, no, you suck. They don't suck. You don't have to like them. You don't have to like that they... I don't like them. I, you don't like them? Um, I saw them on Saturday Night Live, and that was the first thing, first time I've ever heard of them. Right. And I just, I could not get over the lead singer's voice. And right. the band's fine. Right. I mean, I, the music doesn't bother me at all. To, to me, it's, That voice is just so annoying to me. You don't like it? I couldn't do it. Do you think in a different time they would have fit right in? No, because I, I still think it's derivative. I don't feel like it's huh. truly soulful like Robert Plant. Right. It's true. I mean, it, it is truly derivative. And they're, they, what I love about them is they're playful about it. Like, did yeah. you see the interview they took all that flack for? No. And they were like, we, we've never heard of Robert Plant? No. I mean, it was obviously a joke and people ran around like they were really trying to pretend gotcha. that they had never heard. But their their whole thing is like, what do you t- obviously they're our number one influence. Like, right. obviously we are huge Zeppelin fans. Right. And it's totally throwback. All the clothing is throwback. You know, yeah. it's I just the voice. I mean, I've got a, and that's the one reason I wasn't on the Weezer bandwagon earlier. I just didn't feel like his singing was right, right there. Even the Killers guys, very bizarre singer. Right. As he gets older, they kind of blossom into their yeah. styles a little bit. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Weezer's funny. It's not a band I expect a lot from vocally, but for some reason that doesn't bother me. You know but what I the mean? newer stuff is definitely more vocal-centered. Yeah. Right. It's not just creep. You so know? I saw them live with the Foo Fighters in, in Oakland, California. They did a co-headlining tour where they swapped every night who was last and who was first. And in the middle of that, Rivers comes out and does some acoustic songs on a little stage in the middle of the stadium while the big stage is back here. That he comes out and doesn't, you, sur- you know, people surround him on all sides. Mm-hmm. And I still, to this day, don't know if this was intentional. But while he's up there playing, some woman was on stage doing this weird interpretive dance all around him. And he stoically stared forward and pretended she wasn't there. And I, at one point, was like saying to my wife, you're seeing this, right? There's a woman up there <laughs> dancing around, insane. She would get in his face, go around him, dance all around, do all this insane interpretive dance, and he never even acknowledged her. Huh. At first, and somewhere in there, I thought, I'm either watching him try to ignore this person because she's not supposed to be on stage, and for some reason, security doesn't know that, and now it's gotten into this weird thing where they think this is part of the show, or this was some weird thing. It was never acknowledged. Huh. It was never like said who she was, where she came from. No jokes about it. So bizarre. That is art. That That's is what they call art. art. It's Kaufman-esque. Yeah. I'll never tell you the punchline. <laughs> it might only be funny to me. Right. You know what I mean? But yeah. but but there's a re- it's a real like audience of one type of thing. Yeah. I'm laughing on the inside. That's funny. Very weird stuff. Anyway, do you think uh, you know he pl- you know uh, he plays a Kemper? He does. I don't think so. I don't know. Uh, does he? I don't know. Uh, I think I saw his Not... guitar player had a Kemper at one point, but I don't know if they've ever played it live or what. Gotcha. But um, he has played some Dietzels and stuff. He's had some interesting amps over the years. Hmm. Some really interesting stuff. But um, I like his nerdiness. Yeah. He has a really interesting story. Grew up in a Buddhist ashram, discovered Kiss at like 12 years old, and wasn't really sure if he was looking at superheroes or demons or rock stars. But he tell, when he tells a story, it's like it didn't matter. It was all one thing. Gene mm-hmm. Simmons was all those things to him. Mm-hmm. A superhero, a demon, and a rock star. And so he describes like not only did like later he 
it got him into music and he's like a, the biggest ace freely fan but he's like even that, before that was my childhood man right. when i was in sixth grade destroyer just came out yeah detroit rock city i mean it was the biggest thing in the world he tells a story of like before he even learned how to play guitar he would play kiss like pretend to be kiss and it was just as much about like slaying dragons as a kiss person <laughs> as it was about playing the guitar like That's funny. the guitar was just something that kiss walked around with they were yeah. also they could also fly yeah you know like very interesting stuff interesting. well give us a temper ki- tip to uh, close out uh, or a tone tip a to tone close tip. out this tone junkie podcast um you covered the storing your presets and stuff i did do that in a video that was yeah. good i've told lots of people about that kind of stuff have I a, still feel like there's little things that we're still learning about the Kemper. Right. How to do it. Those storing presets and stuff. Um, the difference in type and browse, you know, when you're going through the effects, you can store your own presets of delays or whatever. Of anything, yeah. yeah. And pretty soon, with that new rig manager, we're going to be able to Make send presets around. Yeah, because one of the things that stinks is I've got a bunch of presets saved that I then put into some profiles. But when I give the profile to somebody... They have to go save that effect again as a preset on their machine. There's right. no way for me to give them that preset right now. Yeah. And it'd be great if I could say, check out this delay that you dial, you know what I mean? That I dialed in or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. It just makes it easy. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. Do you ever swap cabs? I have. It can be very useful, yeah. but it's a rabbit hole for sure. It is a rabbit hole. Diminishing returns. To me, all IR things are. But every now and then you'll stumble on a cab that's like, oh, that works on this one and this one. But yeah. I think people are going to get more into that once this new cabinet IR thing is there. Yeah. It's going to get people turning that that button, that knob. Right, what is your thoughts on the direct and merged profiles? I have heard people say that merged makes it sound different than the than the studio profile did before, and that it's supposed to be a merged profile should theoretically sound exactly like the studio profile when you have the cab on, right? Right. And taking the direct and applying it and merging them together should only give this the Kemper the correct line to draw, the correct frequencies to say this is the cab and this is not. Right. But I've heard people say no, the merged ones end up sounding different than the studio ones. I don't, I haven't really tested it. I, I've merged a couple profiles, but I haven't tried to really test them against each other afterwards. So I go like this. I tell my thing is studio profiles are all I really care about. I put in direct profiles cause I understand some people want them to me. It's like, choose one or the other. I love, I like the idea of merge profiles, but to me it's like, The difference that I hear between a direct profile and a studio profile that I cut out the cab is like just consistently there's more brightness. The cab doesn't cut out as much high end as a real guitar cabinet. Right. So I'm just hearing extra brightness left in. And to me, that can be remedied. And yeah. So but so I feel like I'm getting good tone by just defeating the cab and sometimes using direct profiles into my Sur cabinet. Yeah. The disadvantage of direct is that we have no idea what speaker they're using. Right. And so sometimes I take them and I plug it into a cabinet with golds and I'm like, this yeah. doesn't sound good. I have the treble way too high, but it's cause I'm using a speaker that has a very rolled off high end. I think the difference is more dramatic on gain profiles. Hmm. Like when I defeat the cab in a clean profile, it's not as different from the merged as Absolutely. that. 
Um, so yeah, I think it has more of an effect on gainy stuff. And if you're only listening to your cab, then yeah, I can see the usefulness of it. But and and I've compared uh, merged with studio profiles on my Pro Tools. I've you know put a looper in and recorded the same thing twice, and the wave files look identical really? or as close to it as you can. But yeah. I, it, when I'm playing them, I do feel or hear a difference, and I don't know if it's all subconscious and it's not really there, yeah, or if it's truly a difference. You feel like the, the merge loses something i feel like it adds low end and loses a little bit of the compression which mm. may not be a bad thing if you're thinking they all all the gain sounds sound more compressed right. i think that's possible i think maybe it is slightly more compressed whenever i hear people say the gain sounds more compressed i always think turn it up make it louder <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean you're hitting a wall somewhere right in your speaker right. yeah there's that, a yeah and i mean <clears throat> yeah it, just turn it up. Turn it as. Are, do you have it as loud as your tube amp would be? You, right. you don't. Well, you probably don't. So, right. so yeah. It's so you're probably perceiving less dynamics. Right. You know, you're perceiving them, but they could be there. Yeah. They are more compressed. I mean, yeah. We, I don't know. It depends on everything. Yeah, that's an issue. I've I've really thought about doing merge stuff, but it's just so much extra work. It is a lot of extra work, and I just it's diminishing returns. I agree. I don't know how many people are are using them that way. Uh, but if I, I did more, just it. and I try to do them on my higher gain profiles, I'll, like that crank and go pack, I did put mm -hmm. some of those in there. Do you ever use direct mix at all and stuff? Never. I've put them in. So I started putting them in because, um, I mean, not really on my normal stuff, but uh, Stu G really, there were a couple of profiles where we found we felt like it worked best was we were running his kilt pedal, which is a JHS pedal. It's Stu's signature pedal, and it's um, it's basically an X Pandora with um, like a switch or two added. I think there's some differences, but it's very much an X Pandora. Um, and he, uh, when we profiled it, he liked adding in the direct mix to those fuzzy sort of quality mm -hmm. profiles, and he liked sort of some of the defined character of the pick attack that it put back in. Interesting, but. I think I did. I think I did a video on the direct mix, and I tried to show how it worked. And one of the comments was, "So in a nutshell, this doesn't really do anything, and we can ignore it." It's <laughs> like, well, okay, it's the last time I do so a I video on the direct. I, I don't feel so bad about not using direct mix now. Uh, I use clarity on like my mid gain stuff. Mm -hmm. I find if I turn the clarity up about halfway, I kind of like that sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a uh, that's one of those knobs that's hard to describe what's happening. Yeah, it's it not just better. a clean note it's adding, but it's somehow pushing, it's making it clearer. You know? Right. You're yeah. taking clean note, and it has something to do with the way they separated gain from volume. Right, right. You know, they're able to take the clean portion of that sound and mm -hmm. turn it up a little bit. And add the, uh, yeah, it almost sounds like maybe some of the cleaner part of the high end comes through and right. not the low end. Right. Or something. All right, well, this has been fun. I've been HW. <laughs> Michael Britt. <laughs> what, what, what's so funny? I, just, guys, <laughs> I feel like we've been talking for two hours on just random stuff. We have talked for an hour 42 on, uh, on random see? stuff. Do people really listen to this? Oh, yeah. Okay. A lot of people. A lot of people. Hi, guys. You're Dozen. in my stomach growl like crazy. <laughs> These, there are dozens of us. Uh, no. um, all right. I'm an HW. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. HW out. Britt out.